Hi, I'm Sam Breakgear and welcome to the Sociable Podcast. If you ever thought about buying Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, but were unsure of how it all works or even when to get started, you're in the right place. On this episode, we will take a brief look into the world of cryptocurrencies and how anyone, no matter their technical background, can safely buy and store any of the top currencies on the market at the moment. To help with this, I'm joined by cryptocurrency expert Jack Dossman, the founder of Crypto Beginners and a website containing the best crypto resources from around the web, allowing beginners to learn about Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain and all things crypto. After being frustrated with a lack of easy to digest, trustworthy information online, Dossman decided to put a resource together to make it easy for beginners to learn about crypto and blockchain tech. He frequently blogs on Medium about the fundamentals of getting started with crypto, and he is the second most popular writer regarding Bitcoin, with over 600 followers and 50,000 plus story views in the past few months. Before we start, please remember that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are not a for sure return of investment, and you should never buy or invest more than you can afford to lose, as these currencies are still very volatile. Well, I suppose if uh, we want to get started, um, would you be able to tell us a little bit about yourself and um, your background in this area? Yeah, so I've been into crypto for uh, well over a year now. I'm not, you know, one of these old heads in the space, but um, I sort of started getting into it mid last year and found it incredibly difficult to find information about crypto online. Um, and so from there, I uh, just got pretty fed up with everything that was available, so I decided to make my own resource, um, which basically collects all the best information you can find on crypto online in, in one one place. Um, <clears throat> and sort of been doing that for about six months now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um, so I suppose there's a lot of people out there that might be listening to this. The majority of them might know what blockchain is to some some degree or not. But I suppose, um, would you, with your uh, with your knowledge and background, be able to give some clarity towards what blockchain actually is, and also um, the top cryptos that are out there and why they've come to exist? Yeah, so blockchains are really um, sort of difficult thing to get your head around if you just hear about it in the, in the news or you know one of your friends is talking about how much money they're making. But essentially, blockchain as a technology is pretty much just a type of database. So it might sound you know, hard to get your head around initially, but it's a type of database that, you know, like all databases, stores information about things, um, but it's got a couple of unique attributes. So the biggest one being uh, it can be decentralized, which means the database can exist simultaneously across a number of dis- different computers across the world in the same state. Um, and in order for people to put information in that database, they all need to agree on the information that goes in. So everyone needs to have consensus on on the information that they're putting in. Um, and also the information is ad only. So once you put information in, you can't then edit that or take that information out. So that information exists on that database forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a couple of other little things. So the new information can't conflict uh, with what's already added. So similar to the ad only. Um, and everybody can, everybody on the network, so everybody who has a copy of that database can then access that uh, and upload their information. So 
that database structure works perfectly for something like Bitcoin, where you have taken away the the central authority in the space. So essentially, these days, everybody uses uh, banks, and banks are just the central authority for the control of money. And so we trust them with our money. We can give it to them and say, you guys uh, hold it securely, make sure all the transfers work. Uh, and we have no idea what they do, but we, we hope and we trust that what they're going to do is is the right thing. But with Bitcoin, you take away that central authority. And so the system becomes trustless, essentially, because everybody on the network uh, has to abide by the rules of this blockchain. So the blockchain that sits underneath Bitcoin has a certain set of rules. Um, and everybody who's transacting and um, moving money around on the system has to abide by these rules. So uh, the blockchain is a perfect application for cryptocurrency. Fantastic. And um, I suppose most people have probably heard of Bitcoin as the main one, uh, but there are plenty of other, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, there's thousands of cryptocurrencies out there. Yeah, at the moment <laughs> there's quite a few. What, um, what, are the, what are the main contenders, in your opinion, and what, um, I suppose, what advantages they have over, uh, how do they differ, I suppose, from, from Bitcoin that everyone's heard of? Yeah, so Bitcoin's the main one. Everyone knows about that. It went through a 13,000% rise last year, I'm pretty sure. So, you know, once something's making money, everyone's talking about it. Uh, and Bitcoin's still really the main crypto in the space. So I think... Crypto, uh, Bitcoin's market share of all cryptocurrencies is about 40% at the moment, 45%. Uh, and really, when Bitcoin moves, the market moves. So it's really still still the main player in crypto at the moment. But you've got another, a couple of other cryptos coming up. So one that most people uh, who are familiar with the space would have heard of is Ethereum. Uh, so Ethereum is quite similar to Bitcoin, but it builds on it. Uh, and has one main addition in a very specific way, which is it adds uh, a level of programmability to Bitcoin. So uh, Ethereum can be used as a store of value. You can use it to make transactions uh, just like Bitcoin, but at the same time you can do what they call in Ethereum as smart contracts. So essentially what a smart contract is, is it allows you um, to send money to another person, but on a certain set of conditions. So you can say, if this condition is met, then send this amount of money. And that uh, piece of technology allows you to do a lot of interesting things. So Ethereum will allow you to build uh, what they call decentralized applications on top of the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, so similar to the App Store where you can build applications, Ethereum allows you to build decentralized applications, which rely on the fundamental principles of the blockchain that I spoke about before. Uh, and will allow you to build yeah, applications in that way. So Ethereum's really been since you know, 2014, 2015, the second biggest uh, in the crypto space. Then I think at the moment, number three is Ripple. So Ripple is a little bit different to most other cryptos in that it's quite centralized. So the whole, like really the whole purpose of cryptocurrency is decentralization. Whereas Ripple is, was built as what they call an enterprise payment network. So they're really aiming for the banks. They're not really aiming for you know everyday people to use their currency. They're aiming for uh, the banks as their customers. So they want to be basically a settlement network between banks for international transfers. So at the moment, it takes you know three to five days to process transactions uh, internationally, and it's a massive headache. And the banks have a really hard time doing it. Where so Ripple wants to sit in that middle layer. Um, to be able to process those transactions. Uh, there, there has been a bit of controversy about Ripple. 
um, yeah. you know, just about their level of decentralization. But I think at the, recently they've released some new software and they're, they're going pretty well. So that's Ripple. Um, then next up, we've got Bitcoin Cash. So Bitcoin Cash uh, was a fork of Bitcoin in August of last year. And so what a fork is, is essentially when uh, all the developers of, of a cryptocurrency can't decide on the next piece of software they want to implement. So if one group of developers says we want to implement this, another group says we want to implement that, and they can't agree, they have to basically split the blockchain. So Bitcoin Cash uh, split off from Bitcoin. Uh, and so they have a shared history, but every transaction that occurred after that split is on a different chain and a completely different um, set of histories after that point. Um, and the, if you if you Google Bitcoin Cash, you'll find plenty of uh, controversy uh, surrounding them. <laughs> There's some very interesting plays in that space. Uh, and then you've got some other big cryptos called like EOS. EOS is uh, similar to Ethereum in a way in what they're trying to do, um, but they're adding on a few more layers of technology and they have a few uh, very distinct bits of information and bits of uh, software they're trying to implement. Nice. Uh, and you've got Litecoin. Litecoin um, was implemented by um, a bloke called Charlie Lee. And so he's always said that he views Litecoin as the silver to Bitcoin's gold. Um, <clears throat> so Litecoin is a, is a sort of lighter, faster version of Bitcoin, uh, but obviously not as valuable. So it's probably more able to be used for smaller transactions because Bitcoin's transaction fees are a bit higher, um, but because it's not as valuable and there aren't as many people on the network, um, it doesn't quite have the same weight as Bitcoin. So they're really some of the main plays in the space. You can go on for hours about all of them, but generally the top 10, top 20 cryptos on you know something like CoinMarketCap will be um, the most important ones in the space and ones that are the least likely to be scams. Yeah, no, I see. I see them coming up a lot. I suppose um, the the next thing that, and I suppose this is the main thing for the for the podcast. Most people, when it comes to these uh, cryptocurrencies or the idea of buying Bitcoin or getting involved, it can be quite scary or intimidating if you don't have the the technical knowledge of knowing how to buy them or what what where to even get started. I suppose if someone was to come to you or to look on your website and they wanted to get started and just simply purchase Bitcoin what would you suggest is the safest or easiest way about doing this? Mm, yeah, it is, it is really um, pretty scary once you first start if you, if you don't have much knowledge in the space. But the dead easiest way to get, get crypto, get your hands on crypto is Coinbase. So mm -hmm. Coinbase is um, one of the biggest exchanges of cryptocurrencies. It's by far the most user-friendly. Uh, they don't focus on traders. So a lot of uh, these exchanges you go onto will be focused on traders and it just looks like a complete mess and you're, you just want to run away as soon as you get on the site. But Coinbase is the easiest way to do it. They've got a really simple interface. Uh, the sign-up process arduous in a way, like you have to upload a lot of your personal information. But once you do that, uh, you can buy and trade. Uh, I think it's the top five or so cryptocurrencies, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash and a couple of others really easily. So that's definitely the best way to do it. Is it is it um, specifically located in, like can you do that anywhere in the world or is it strictly for certain uh, countries or areas where um, 
where you can purchase Bitcoin through this method? The sign-up process will be slightly different for certain countries. I'm not 100% sure if Coinbase will prevent you from signing up if you're in a certain country, but the idea of cryptocurrency is you can buy from anywhere in the world. Um, so Coinbase is one of the easiest places to buy Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, but there are many other exchanges that will allow you to do that. So I'd be incredibly surprised if whatever country you live in that you couldn't get your hands on any Bitcoin. Awesome. Um, and then say someone does buy some Bitcoin, for example. One thing that I've always seen, and I'm, I know um, the Reddit community or Bitcoins or Reddit's Bitcoin community is very, very vocal. Don't keep your, don't keep your uh, currency or your Bitcoin or anything on exchanges. Um, is Coinbase an exchange? And what is the threat of keeping it on an exchange? Yeah, so pretty much anywhere online that you can buy and trade cryptocurrencies is an exchange. Uh, so the, the, the point of not keeping your crypto on an exchange is that if, if it exists on an exchange, you don't have full control over that cryptocurrency. So if your crypto is on Coinbase, and in the very, very unlikely scenario that Coinbase gets hacked, although exchanges have been hacked in the past, um, you lose all your coins. So Coinbase is essentially what they call a honeypot, where you know they have millions and millions of customers, and all their customers, or a lot of their customers, are storing their cryptos on Coinbase. So instead of just hacking one individual and stealing you know, whatever small amount of cryptocurrency they may have, if you can hack Coin Coinbase, then you can steal everything on there and, and make hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions. So that's basically the central principle that if you, if you store your cryptos on an exchange, you're sort of asking for them to be lost. Whereas if you store them yourself, whether that's on a hardware wallet or on a software app, uh, you have full control over that and you're responsible for your crypto, which also comes with the caveat that you have to be responsible with it. You can't just you know, leave it in the bank like you do currently or leave it on an exchange. Uh, you really have to be responsible with how you're storing that. And um, say if you did keep your 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 cryptocurrency on an exchange um, and you were unfortunate they were unfortunate enough to be hacked or something was to happen is the exchange at all liable do they have any kind of responsibility or are they even even if they didn't have responsibility are they going to likely to be like altruistic and give you something like that back is there <laughs> no precedence of them like them being like sorry it's gone you would hope so uh, so <laughs> one of the largest hacks that's ever occurred uh, within Bitcoin was the Mt. Gox hack in 2014. So just to be clear, Bitcoin itself has never been hacked. So Bitcoin itself is an incredibly secure system because of the way that it's set up and the security that it's embedded within the network. But, uh, and this is why everyone says don't keep your cryptos on exchange because exchanges are very uh, vulnerable to these to these hacks. So this, this hack in 2014, Mt. Gox, uh, was the biggest Bitcoin exchange at the time, and they lost, I think it was something in the region at the time of $400 million. Uh, and you, like, you wouldn't want to imagine what all that Bitcoin's worth now, but uh, I think they I think they tried to give back some of the crypto, some of the Bitcoin to their customers, but the vast majority of it's lost. And once, once someone pinches your, your Bitcoin or your cryptocurrency from your wallet or from an exchange, it's very, very, very difficult to get it back. Mm-hmm. And I know there's um, a saying in the cryptocurrency world, which is, uh, or Bitcoin certainly, where it goes, not your, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. Mm. And I think that generally refers to what you just said, where um, if you don't hold it and take care of it yourself, 
um, then you 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 really don't own that Bitcoin. Are you able to explain that in a little bit better detail than, than I'm trying to? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand the reference. I think it was um, Andreas Antonopoulos who said that. He's probably one of the biggest uh, Bitcoin educator in the world. I mean, he's brilliant. Um, so basically the principle is when you have a Bitcoin or a cryptocurrency hardware wallet, or any sort of wallet, sorry, you have uh, what they call public and private keys. And the easiest way to understand this is if you think about a letterbox. So with a letterbox, everybody knows where it is, everybody knows your address, and everybody can deposit letters into your account. It's the same with Bitcoin. With your public key, that's what you use for everybody to send you crypto. So uh, sometimes you'll come across a website and down the bottom will say, you know, donate with Bitcoin, and you'll see a string of characters. So it's a 34 digit string of letters and numbers, and that's basically the public address or the public key. Um, so everybody can send Bitcoin to that address, but that's not where anybody can take out Bitcoin from that address. That, that is done with the private key. So the private key is what accesses your wallet. Uh, so that's basically your key or your passcode to your letterbox. So only you have that key, hopefully, and only you can access all the letters or you know, all the transactions that are coming into that account. So if you don't have access, if you don't hold your private key um, because your money exists, your cryptocurrency exists on an exchange, then you don't, you don't control that cryptocurrency. So when you buy on Coinbase, your crypto will sit in a, what they call a, a crypto wallet, um, but it's, it's not technically a wallet because you don't control the keys. Um, so what you want to do is buy that crypto and then find a wallet, whether that's, uh, and we can get into this later if you like, but whether that's an online wallet or an offline wallet, so an app or like the hardware wallet's really generally a USB type device. Um, so the best thing to do is buy it on Coinbase and then transfer that out to a wallet where you control the keys uh, and then you're responsible for your crypto. And um, you mentioned the, the private key. Is that similar to the, the public key in its appearance? Is that also like a 30-something character long, long, long series of numbers and letters? Or is it, yeah, does so, it differ? No, it's pretty, it's pretty similar. The public key is 34 digits and the private key is 64, 68, something like that. But it's just a string of uh, lowercase, uppercase letters and numbers. So one way to get around, you know, having to memorize 64 digits, and some people do it. So one of the, the draw cards of cryptocurrency is that you can walk across borders with millions of dollars of cryptocurrency uh, with your private key stored in your head. And so you can really access that from wherever you like if you, if you can remember that private key. Uh, so you can walk around with however much Bitcoin or cryptocurrency you can possibly have um, yeah. without anybody knowing about it, which is brilliant. Um, but one way to get around that memorization of six, the 64 digit private key, because you know, you definitely don't want to forget it. Uh, a lot of wallets will have what they call uh, seed phrases, um, or recovery phrases. So it's a series of 12, I think it's generally 12, uh, words. And they're just like, you know, common words, but randomly generated, uh, that can stand in for your private key. So if you, if you can memorize that string of 12 words, uh, then you can access your, your wallet. So that's more, it's more or less this, is it the, like, um, some wallets use like, uh, the private key and then some wallets just have this like recovery phrase that you said, or is so it that all wallets have it and then they kind of like translate it or how does that work? How is the yeah, compatibility so there? If, every cryptocurrency wallet has to have a private and a public key and that's because yep. of the encryption that goes on within cryptocurrencies and that's where crypto comes from. Um, but 
to make it, I guess, more user friendly, a lot of these, um, a lot of wallets will have that uh, seed phrase or recovery phrase that I guess stands in for the private key. Yeah. Cool. I um, I actually recently heard a story where a woman was creating jewelry, and I shouldn't think they created a chains and they added uh, one word of their recovery phrase to each they ingrained it into each of the chains so that way they could carry around their recovery phrase (laughs) as a chain without anyone knowing yeah Yeah. and it was i thought that was incredibly intelligent yeah but you um you touched on this earlier actually uh the difference in wallets would you be able to explain what wallets exist and what's the difference um i suppose in in user friendliness or security and yeah yeah, so there are two types of wallets that exist. I'll touch on those and then we can talk about security a little bit. So mm-hmm. basically the two types of wallets are online wallets and offline wallets or um, software wallets and hardware wallets. So obviously software online, uh, it's easier to use, but you uh, have a greater, a greater ability to be hacked. So anything that's connected to the internet is in some way vulnerable to being hacked. It's, you know, it could be incredibly unlikely, but you're just increasing your risk. So online wallets or software wallets um, can be desktop or mobile apps um, or exchanges. But exchanges, like I said, aren't really considered wallets, but it's some, it is a way to store your crypto. Um, so you can download uh, Bitcoin-specific or certain crypto-specific wallets or general wallets. Um, so some of those apps include uh, Jax. I think that's a big one. Um, yeah. There are a few others that will store multiple cryptos and so essentially what you can do is you buy bitcoin from coinbase um and then you you download one of these uh wallets and the wallet will have a public address for say bitcoin so you bought bitcoin it'll ha- it'll come up with that 34 digit string and then you jump on your coinbase account um type in that string or um a lot of them do a uh, qr code so you can just scan a qr code um and then that address will pop up and then you press send and then it'll send uh, all that Bitcoin to your wallet. And so your wallet will now have access and control over that cryptocurrency. Uh, and hardware wallets, uh, obviously similar principle, but it exists as a physical device. So two of the biggest players in this space are Ledger Nano and Trezor. So they both uh, develop, uh, yeah, what you call uh, USB wallets. So it looks like a USB device. Uh, you plug it into your computer when you want to transfer uh, your cryptocurrency, but it exists offline. So unless somebody physically breaks into your house uh, and forces you to give up your uh, recovery phrase, it, you can't get hacked, essentially. Um, the, the, the biggest risk with those, obviously, is uh, if you lose them. So there's been instances uh, in the past where people have you know, mined Bitcoin in the early days, you know, made God knows how much money, and then accidentally thrown away their USB device into a dumpster and been dumpster diving for days trying to find it. So if you, if you lose your, your USB device and you've got a lot of crypto on there, it'd be pretty painful. But they're generally uh, more secure than online wallets, but obviously it's a bit more difficult to use. They're still in the early days of, I guess, user friendliness and, and figuring out how to most easily uh, allow people to use, use this sort of stuff. Fantastic. And, then, and um, I, sorry, sorry, continue. I was just going to bring up paper wallets. Um, that's yes. I know that that's a that's uh, supposedly one of the most secure options. But again, that sounds pretty scary considering. Well, I can imagine it's one thing to lose the USB, 
but trying to keep a piece of paper safe if you've got if it's worth thousands or hundreds of thousands potentially is uh, gonna be even scarier yeah exactly right so paper wallets uh, are another version of offline wallets like the USB ones um, whereas where essentially you there are a couple of resources to do it online um, and basically it uses the random some of them do the, the random movements of your mouse on your computer to generate uh, a random string of digits and that random string of digits becomes your your set of keys um, and so you, you by by doing it that way you know they're not um, just generating one for you then you send all your crypto to that address and they pinch it from you uh, so it's completely randomly generated and then it spits out uh, you know your public and private keys and then essentially what you can do is print that off and store that offline um, or you can just copy it down and write it on a piece of paper and then you can send um, <clears throat> your cryptos to that address uh, and yeah, you, you, you control it, but it's on a piece of paper. So unless you want to get it laminated and stored in a vault or something, it's, it's pretty vulnerable to um, degrading or being lost or burnt down or in a flood or, you know, you can think of any number yeah. of ways that could be destroyed. So it's pretty risky, but yeah, it's the most secure way of storing your crypto. Sure. Uh, well, um, I suppose a bit of a jump onto a, a different subject now. Um, one thing I did want to ask you about is mining fees. Mm -hmm. um, to what extent do they like? I suppose actually starting off, what are they? Why do they exist, and what are mining fees? <laughs> okay, so um, with cryptocurrency, you can go down a massive rabbit hole into the exact technical details of why things occur. I'll try, I'll try mm -hmm. not to do that because we'll be here for hours. Um, but essentially, uh, what miners are on, let's just say, the Bitcoin network. Um, mm -hmm. Miners exist to essentially secure the network. So every time a transaction goes through, uh, a, gr a great analogy of this is um, every, every transaction that goes through gets put into a group uh, and that group then needs to be verified at some point. And so every group or block, if you want to call it that, um, it's the term blockchain, uh, every, every block gets uh, tacked onto the end of the chain. Uh, and as the deeper you go into that chain, it's like uh, like an insect being stored in amber. So every extra layer of amber that gets laid onto this thing means mm -hmm. it's older and older and older and you can trust how old that insect is. It's the same thing with, with the blockchain. So the deeper into the chain this transaction is, the older the transaction is and the more transactions that have been done on top of it, the more mm -hmm. secure it is. So the miners essentially uh, do a lot of uh, calculations on computers and you've probably heard about this uh, with these you know crazy electricity fees um, mm -hmm. those people in regional China and Russia you know making these massive plants just to pump out all these um, computer transactions so essentially what they're doing is doing a bunch of computer work um, to verify that all these transactions are going through and so for their efforts they get rewarded every time a transaction occurs um, and they also get re rewarded for you know try trying to keep it as simple as possible, basically finding new bitcoins. So every ten minutes, uh, a new uh, reward is given, and at the moment it's about twelve and a half bitcoins. So if if you're part of a mining pool, um, or if you're one of these big miners who's cranking out all these transactions and all these calculations, you can get rewarded with that twelve bitcoin. So that, that's what's in it for them. Um, but essentially, whenever you send you know, if I send a bit of Bitcoin to you, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how much it is, it's always just a, a flat fee. Uh, for that transaction, I need to pay those miners in order to secure my transaction to you. So you know that the Bitcoin I'm sending is legit and I know it's 
gone to where it needs to go, those miners do a little bit of work and they get a little reward for that. Okay, excellent. Um, and I suppose that the final thing that I really want to talk about, and it's probably going to take up a bit of time just because it's such a, such a big subject and you hear about it so much, is just general security. Mm -hmm. um, I know that there's every day there seems to be like headlines that there's been some kind of like security or fraud or something involving um, Elon Musk or the founder of uh, <laughs> Ethereum or whatever. And there's yeah. a use, and at first I, it confused me when I saw, I, I can never pronounce the guy's name, the founder of Ethereum and other Metallic. people. And, yeah, and they, they always say not giving away free crypto mm -hmm. or not giving, yep. and at first I was like, wow, that seems really rude to be that blunt about like, <laughs> maybe they just get approached all the time being like and obviously me being the novice to, to this industry i didn't realize that it was such a big thing that people impersonate them and, and there seems to be a, a multitude of just um scams that have just like flourished within the past couple of years so i suppose um if you can provide any guidance on on how the best way to avoid becoming a victim and what you should look out for when getting involved in cryptocurrency yeah so that, that's one of the biggest problems with getting into crypto at the moment that you know people call it the wild west for a reason uh, because it's, it's so easy for your crypto to be lost because one, it's, it's difficult to do if you're a beginner and two, if somebody manages to steal the crypto from your wallet, it's pretty much impossible to get it back. Like there's no central authority you can go to uh, to get them to help you out. Uh, Bitcoin is pretty much anonymous so you don't know where that, that cryptocurrency is gone. Um, yeah, it's there, there are quite a few risks at the moment but in saying that, uh, it's not particularly difficult to protect yourself, especially if, you know, you're not a big name like, like Elon Musk. <laughs> um, so to, to, to answer uh, your, what you said before about Elon and um, Vitalik, um, people steering, stealing uh, crypto. So I think back in the early days of crypto, it was reasonably common for people to give each other uh, like tips or uh, donations in Bitcoin. Uh, and so that, that's sort of how the community developed. But if you're doing something cool, people just, you know, drop you a little bit of, of Bitcoin or Ethereum or anything like that, uh, just to say thanks. And so that sort of morphed into people just asking for crypto all the time now, which is really strange. Um, but then you, you'll get these, you'll get these uh, scammers on mostly Twitter who will you know, have uh, the same photo as Elon Musk or Vitalik, uh, have a really similar username. So it'd be like Elon with two Ns, Musk. And so it's really difficult to tell the difference. Um, and sometimes they'll even uh, steal a verified member's Twitter handle, so they've got that little blue tick, so it looks even more official. And then they'll they'll post up a thing under, say, Elon Musk's um, tweet, saying, "Oh, just another thing. I'm giving away 20 Ethereum. So send me your send me a little bit of Ethereum, and then I'll send you 20 Ethereum back um, if you win." And so. If you're new to the space or, you know, you just don't really know what's going on, it's easy to think, oh, cool, like I want 20 Ethereum. And then um, obviously they're not going to, they'll just take your Ethereum and yeah. back. So um, that, that's been really prevalent. And Twitter have actually been speaking about it recently, about how, how they can try and er eradicate it. Um, mm -hmm. But one solution Vitalik has come up with, like you said, is actually writing in his Twitter name saying Vitalik, Vitalik non-giver of Ether. Um, mm -hmm. Just so you know, that's really him. It's not an impersonation, and he's not going to give you any ether. Yeah. Um, so that's probably one of the more egregious um, ways of being hacked. There are a bunch of other ones. Uh, one, another one that's really quite interesting is, I mean, none of it happens to you, um, but it's <laughs> social engineering. So basically, yeah. um, social engineering is when you're not actually being 
hacked in terms of you know someone using computer code to infiltrate your systems. Uh, so social engineering uh, hacks often occur when uh, hackers will call up your, um, and this has happened to quite a few people recently, that can call up these people's uh, phone provider and then pretend to be them or pretend to be their partner and say, oh, uh, please transfer this phone number over to a new SIM card. And they control the SIM card and then they can use uh, the uh, like phone authentication. You know how like sometimes you sign up to certain mm-hmm. things and say send text you a code? They can use that to get into that person's email address. And so once they're verified and into their email account, they can then reset their passwords on their exchange accounts, on every type of crypto that they're involved with, unless it's a wallet. Because if it's a wallet, it's offline or uh, they, they won't really have access to it. But if their crypto exists on an exchange, say I've got a, a bunch of Bitcoin uh, on Coinbase, they can reset my Coinbase password, get access to my Coinbase account, maybe even use my credit card to buy more crypto, uh, and then siphon off all the cryptocurrency somewhere else. So it's a really low-tech way of, of gaining access uh, to somebody's account. But if you have uh, good two-factor authentication, so if you use a 2FA app rather than um, your phone, then it's impossible because they need your device um, and they need all your account information. So that's a really, really easy way to avoid being hacked that way. Um, but generally, if you have, if you don't leave your crypto on an exchange, if you use two-factor authentication for all your ex- uh, accounts, so um, a good two-factor authentication app uh, is just the Google Authenticator, uh, that would be fine. And you have a password manager with strong passwords on all your accounts. So if you use uh, LastPass or OnePassword, they're really good. Um, Password managers, you can set you know, yep. 20, 30, 40 character passwords for all your things. So, and you don't have to remember them, which is, a, which is the best thing. Instead of using you know, the same terrible you know, eight-character password for every account, um, yeah. You, yeah, it, may, it makes it so much easier. You can set really strong passwords and you don't have to worry about it. And it really reduces your, your risk of, of having your crypto stolen. Awesome. Well, that sounds um, that's, uh, it's good to know. I, I think one other thing that I've seen as well, which confuses me slightly, is that sometimes I see people that do use cryptocurrency in um, the Reddit, the subreddits that I read, is mm-hmm. that sometimes people will be contacted or believe they're contacted by, like, say, Binance or Coinbase, um, and then it turns out that perhaps they're not being contacted or similar, like you said, they've been socially engineered to give up their password. Um, is that something which, which I suppose happens a lot or it's, it seems to be fairly frequent on the Reddit channels but or either that or just the, the customer service for these exchanges is, is so terrible that they think they're being hacked? <laughs> uh, no, that, that is a pretty prevalent scam. Um, so, yeah, either people posting out links um, that look like they're to Binance or, you know, another exchange that really is something else. Um, another one that I, I find fascinating is... Um, Someone registering, so say we're talking about Binance, for example, which is one of the biggest exchanges. Um, someone registering a domain name, so a URL that's incredibly similar to Binance, has the same characters, but you can you can register a URL and have a character in that URL that is like a U, for example, with a dot at the top of it, which is a different character to an actual U. And so people will, will you know do that and then pretty much exactly replicate what Binance looks like, but then obviously if you buy crypto, just go straight to them. Um, and the only way you can tell the difference between the real Binance site and their site is that tiny little dot 
above the U yep. in the so in the um, URL bar of your browser, which is just incredibly fiendish. But that's the only difference. And so if you if you happen to get uh, sucked in by by one of these hack uh, one of these scammers, it's it's really difficult to find your way out. But the best way to to uh, sort of not get yourself in that situation is bookmark all your exchange accounts and all the sites that you generally travel to in cryptos. Yeah. Bookmarked, uh, it's in your browser, there's no way you're going to go to a, to a fake site. Good, excellent. Um, I suppose that, that takes off everything that I was hoping to cover today. Um, is, unless there's a, anything else that you'd uh, like to touch on or you think that we've missed, then... Um, let me know. <laughs> yeah, so like I said before, crypto is a massive rabbit hole. I've been diving deeper and deeper and deeper, you know, for the last year and a half, uh, and that's why that's why I set up the website. I, you know, it's really difficult to find useful information, trustworthy information, um, and you know, if you're interested in the space, just to you know make a bit of money on the side, or because you're interested in the technology, just do as much research as you can. There's there's plenty of great stuff out there, and like I said, you can you can just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper, and it's it's still really fascinating. So, uh, if there's any questions anybody still has, just get out there and do as much research as you can. Really, <laughs> fantastic, excellent. Thank you so much for your time today, Jack. Uh, you've been very informative, and I hope that anyone listening to this feels a hell of a lot more confident in the space of crypto. Cool. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for the opportunity. Super, excellent. Stop.